Welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast, the sports podcast by women for everyone. As always, I'm your host, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game, and I'm flying solo for this week's episode while Al is with her family. But not to worry, I am not actually flying solo because I have an incredible guest with me for today's episode, Joe Poznanski, senior writer at The Athletic and one of the spearheaders behind the Tip Your Cap initiative to honor the Negro League's baseball centennial this year. He is one of my favorite writers to read, one of my dad's favorite writers to read, and we had such an incredible conversation about Tip Your Cap, baseball in the time of coronavirus, Rob Manfred's stunning admission yesterday about the 60-game season and bad faith. We get into all of it, and it was so much fun and such a treat to talk to somebody who I look up to and admire so much. But before I play that interview for you, I just want to talk about Baseball Barbecue because they are an incredible company that makes custom grill tools with the handles of baseball bats. They are having a sale right now for July 4th weekend. They have their turn two combo set, which is the slider spatula and the fork ball grill fork. And you can buy the combo set or you can buy the spatula or fork individually. And you can even get your grill tools customized so that they say something on the handle. They make a great gift for the barbecue aficionado in your family. And they also have these gorgeous cutting boards and serving boards that you can buy as well as really fun clothing and hats. Go to baseballbarbecue.com and check them out and tell them we sent you. Their 4th of July sale currently is offering 20% off on grill tools. So before baseball comes back, make sure that you are stocked up on everything you need to throw the best barbecue with baseballbarbecue.com. That's baseballbbq.com. And now, without further ado, Joe Poznanski. Guys, I am so excited to have on as our guest today, Joe Poznanski, senior writer at The Athletic. He is the man behind some of the greatest writings about the greatest baseball players of all time. You've probably read at least one of his player profiles or one of his 60 moments about some of the greatest moments in baseball history. And he is now spearheading a really amazing campaign to honor the Negro Leagues in their centennial season before baseball comes back. Please welcome Joe Poznanski. Joe, thank you so much for being my guest. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It is such a treat for me because I read your stuff all the time and a treat, like I told you, for my dad, who is probably one of your biggest fans, as crazy as that is to say about someone's dad. But <laughs> no, that's that is that's <laughs> awesome. That that's it's great to hear. So can we start off by talking about tip your cap? Because it's been all over social media. Bob Kendrick is actually a friend of mine and he's been on this podcast before to talk about the Negro Leagues and the Centennial. But how did Tip Your Cap come about? Why was that the avenue that you guys chose? It was, it's, I, I come to you at a time where I am thoroughly exhausted because it has been three weeks of just pure 24 hours a day working on this, uh, which has been uh, so rewarding and so wonderful. I mean, Bob Kendrick and I go back uh, 20 plus years. Uh, he's, he's one of my best friends. Uh, we call each other brother and uh, because we're both uh, consider ourselves uh, children of Buck O'Neill. So it's a 
you know, it's, he's always coming to me. I mean, he, you know him the way his mind works. He is always trying to come up with creative new ways to tell this, this amazing and important story about, about the Negro Leagues. And, and, you know, when you talk about what the Negro Leagues are, I mean, it is, it is many, many different things. I mean, it, there's the, the obvious story of, of Jackie Robinson and, and, you know, a player finally breaking through and breaking the color barrier and playing in the major leagues. And of course, Jackie Robinson played uh, for the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Leagues. And then Larry Doby comes along and he played in the Negro Leagues. And, and so did, you know, the first two dozen or so uh, players in, in, in baseball who were, you know, black and, and, and dark skinned uh, Latino as well. So, so he's always looking for new ways to tell this story. And one thing that has been a focus of his for at least a decade is he really loved this idea of having people tip their cap uh, to the Negro leagues. It's just such a symbol of, of respect and, and honor. And, you know, he had this thought where he would have, he wanted to have players, uh, in the major leagues, go on the field and tip their cap. He he had various other you know ideas about how he could do tip your cap. And then this year it was finally going to happen. Uh, there was uh, there was uh, going to be a Negro Leagues uh, day in Major League Baseball to salute the hundredth uh, anniversary of of the formation of the Negro Leagues. And on that day, the players were going to do that. They were going to step on the field before a game and tip their cap. And by the way, I think this will still happen, but, but it was scheduled to happen on June 27th. And Bob was very, very excited about it, obviously, and thought of it as sort of the centerpiece for, for this important year for sharing the story, for raising uh, awareness of the museum and, and of the, and of the Negro leaguers themselves. And uh, of course it all got canceled and postponed because of, because of COVID and as everything else has. And at one point Bob came up to me and he said, you know, I, I don't know, you, you've been doing some things because uh, you know, I, as in addition to being a writer, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dan McGinn and I started a company called passions in America, where we, we are looking to sort of explore passions and, and trying to sort of find causes and, you know, ways to sort of bring a, a little bit more joy and love into the world. And as part of that, we had done a different campaign. And Bob said, do you guys think you could come up with a campaign for, for tipping your cap? And so that's how it started. Uh, and Dan and I, uh, Dan is, is a longtime communications manager in Washington, very, very successful. And he thinks very, very big. And so when I came to him and said, you know, what, what could we do with this? His, like literally his first thing is, well, we need to just get President Obama to do this. We need to get President Bush and President Clinton to do this. We, we need to, we need to get, uh, you know, we need to start at the top of the presidents and, and everything else will follow. And so that's what we did. We started with the presidents and they were all incredibly gracious and, and very, very quick. They, they, they all did it incredibly from what we're told from from their offices they've never done anything so quickly and usually anything uh, a president has to do goes through about 7000 different channels and and permissions and waivers and everything else and they they just fast tracked this so we we got obama's video within a couple of days of of him agreeing same thing with uh, president bush same thing with president clinton and uh and then we we started reaching out to Two amazing people like Michael Jordan reached out, uh, reached back to us, Magic Johnson, and then Henry Aaron and, and the, you know, Sharon and Rachel Robinson. And, 
and this thing suddenly was a was not just a campaign; it became a movement, and and now we're we're just watching in awe. You know, we've we've lost we've lost control. Uh, not that we ever felt like we had control in the first place, but we're just we're just in the car, just watching it go because it's uh, it's become a phenomenon. Yeah, I was so blown away when I saw the presidents doing it. I mean, I don't know about Clinton, but I know that you know Obama's a baseball fan, and Bush obviously was with the Rangers, like was an owner of the Rangers. So that wasn't surprising to me. I mean, he's always been a baseball guy. And I think either he or his dad played for the Yale team or something. That was so exciting for me to see. I'm curious. I I think I can guess the answer and I don't want to get too political here, but did you reach out to the current president? We did not, uh, yeah. but, but well, I mean, we, <laughs> we, we can, we can probably have a longer conversation about that, but what we decided very early on was we were not going to reach out to any, uh, current office holders. I mean, the, the key for us was that this was, this is a completely apolitical campaign. Uh, we want everybody involved, including the president. If the president wants to do a video, we, we would welcome that. I mean, it's, but we didn't reach out to, to the Biden camp. We didn't reach out to any of the senators or any, uh, anybody politically, including some like John Lewis, who, who obviously would have made a tremendous amount of sense, uh, to do this. But we just felt like this thing should be completely apolitical. We reached out to the former presidents simply for the reason that they are former presidents. And, uh, and we do, we've, you know, yesterday, uh, we saw that Ben Carson put out a video of himself. Uh, we know that Tim Scott, the Republican senator from South Carolina put one out. Uh, we know that, you know, the, the Senate, um, uh, minority leader, uh, Chuck Schumer put one out. So people, we encourage that. We encourage everybody to do it, but, for when we were going with the outreach, especially at the beginning of this thing, we want we really wanted to be sure that this thing had no politics in it at all. Which is an interesting thing because I think a lot of people are very adamant that sports and politics should be separate. You know, you see people on Twitter always telling athletes to stick stick to sports and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's interesting that you had former presidents. Because for some people, I mean, that's still going to be political, obviously, because you're the president. But it's an interesting thing, especially right now when it seems like there's no kind of separation of the church and state with the church being sports, I guess. Of course. No, Um, no, that's 100%. And I will say from, from our perspective, I mean, of course it is political in the sense of, you know, this is, this is speaking out of sports. This is speaking about, you know, even though we're celebrating these, these great athletes, we're, we're celebrating them for so much more than that. And so it is political. When I say we didn't want to, to go into politics, we didn't want to go in anybody who could turn it into an actively political things. For instance, right, of let's course. say we invited President uh, Trump and Joe Biden and only one of us sent a video. Well, suddenly that feels like you're getting in the middle of the race, right? You're getting in the middle of the politics of it. So when I when I say politics, uh, of course, it's political. But when I say we didn't want anybody who's an active office holder, we didn't want to get involved in the political process at all in this in this thing. The last thing you want is this turning into some kind of sideshow. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's, that's like the opposite of the goal. Um, but I I also, I mean, when I spoke to Bob, he also was hopeful that maybe in September they would be able to do tip your cap 
we're obviously seeing lots of MLB players already doing it. Like Mike Trout did one. Um, yes. There have yeah, been so many. It's been There have incredible. been so many. It's been hard. We, we we were really excited to see you Darvish do one yesterday. I just felt. Yes, uh, I loved it. His. It was so great. And it was a beautiful version of it, too. And yeah. But it just felt – I love when this thing goes international. You know, this thing has become a little bit of a – of a of a touchstone in France, interestingly enough, it was picked wow. up uh, by uh, some people there because you know, and I think that's great because this is beyond baseball and beyond sports. It's it's really is a, a great American story about people striving against injustice uh, and refusing to be denied uh, their opportunities and their rights, and and eventually being so good at what they did that they broke through and changed baseball and changed America. So so it's it's such a great story we've gotten so many and we, we haven't even been able to keep up with so many of the, of the baseball uh, people and, and throughout sports really um, doing this thing. It's, it's been really, really good, but I am, I am, I do understand that baseball is assuming there is a season, assuming that, you know, this 60 game thing works and assuming that, that they can play, that there will be a, a salute to the Negro leagues day. And I do believe that they, that players will step on the field and tip their caps. I, I do believe that there will be um, an actual, you know, this has been a virtual campaign. I believe there'll be a, an actual uh, version of this at, at some point. I don't know when, but at some point uh, during a baseball season, assuming we have one. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Having a baseball season, is still somewhat of a question mark, but I, I actually think in a weird way doing the virtual or the social media campaign of this in a way, I feel like more people saw it or maybe it's just, um, I think that's very creative just because, you know, a lot of people don't actually watch baseball games or they don't watch them regularly or, you know, they're blacked out by MLB TV, <laughs> et cetera. <Right>. Um, <laughs> so in a weird way, I think that having this like ongoing campaign, you know, people, people saw those videos of the presidents and of Michael Jordan and uh, the picture of Mike Trout and you Darvish, all of these amazing people doing the tip your cap. Like, it's kind of like how I said to Bob when we were talking a few months ago, I was like, you, I was like, you have a unique opportunity here because like, yes, people can't come to the museum right now, but you can set up all this social media stuff and use social media to show off the museum in ways that you might not have had the time or focus on before. And like for someone like me in Boston, who it's not easy for me to get to the museum, even though I'm dying to go. Sure. And I've been promising Bob for like two years. I'm like, I'm coming this year and then I'm not able to get there. And it sucks. Being able to do the campaign online, millions and millions of people who aren't even baseball fans, they'll see it. And then they're like, well, what even is the Negro Leagues? And then maybe they'll Google it or they'll go to the museum website. And to me, I mean, that's what like the message of the Negro leagues is more important now than it ever has been. I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing the black lives matter movement and people in sports. A lot of them don't realize that the Negro leagues even existed. No, that's a hundred percent right. And, and you're, you're, we have, we have talked about this very specifically, Bob and I and Dan have, have all gathered around and talked about this, that, you know, of course, what we wanted was there to be a season and what we wanted was for everything to go the way it was supposed to go and 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 all of that. But 
faced with the situation that we're in, faced with 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 the uh, global pandemic and and all of the the significant issues that are that are arising in our country, you know, from a social justice standpoint as well, we do believe that this way we are reaching so many more people. We are making so much bigger an impact than a simple uh, a simple tip your cap uh, during a baseball season would have been. And and I think it's it's touching and it's and it's and it's humbling to see that i mean we we saw yesterday a bakery in pennsylvania put on their uh on their marquee out front you know happy 100th uh, anniversary to the negro leagues 1920 to 2020 and and you know things like that wouldn't have happened if if it had just been a simple salute to the negro leagues day it would have been a beautiful moment and again i hope we we have that moment still but you're right. This thing, you know, and, and this is, this is, I think, because of the moment we're in, it has taken on a completely different life and it is reaching, you know, vast, vast, vast numbers of people that never, not only would never would have seen it, never would have been, you know, even come close to, to being touched by, by a simple salute, uh, on the baseball field. So, you know, to, to see, like I say, across aisles, to see senators from, from, from all parties, uh, to see, you know, athletes in all sports, to see, you know, thousands and thousands of people just tipping their cap. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild and wonderful. And, and I, I talked to Bob earlier today, uh, already and we were, we were discussing just, just how, you know, we have no idea that, that it was going to come this far. We don't know where it's going to go from here, but, but we do know that this is the single most significant thing that has ever happened, not only for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, but for the Negro Leagues themselves and, and, and those players and, and the, the, uh, you know, the, the awareness of, of that story is, is definitely uh, being, uh, being amplified in a way that it never has before. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making their way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. BetOnline has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. It makes me so happy to see it all over because I grew up hearing about the Negro Leagues. My dad's a historian and a, and a huge baseball fan. And so I learned about them as a kid a little bit from him. And I was just fascinated and also, you know, appalled that of course. baseball didn't want black players to see all of this coming from it. And also knowing Bob and knowing how he's able to make an incredible situation out of a rough situation. Like the first time I ever interviewed him was actually after we had, we had chatted like, you know, uh, like unofficially before, but the first time I ever actually interviewed him was after the vandalizing in 2018 Uh at the Buck O'Neill center that hadn't even opened yet. And all I I came away from, I was like, something terrible just happened to, to this incredible place. And, you know, they've been working on this for such a long time and Bob was still so positive about it. And so knowing him and, reading your work for such a long time, I'm not surprised that an incredible movement came out of it. And I just, 
I'm like so happy to see it all over my social media, especially at a time when social media is so overwhelmingly negative. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing this every day for the past week or so, two weeks, like it's been very uplifting. It really has. I mean, for me too, you know, even, even being in the middle of it, just, just seeing where this has gone and seeing where this is going. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's like you go through your social media and, and your Twitter feed and it's just, it's, it's terrible thing, terrible thing, terrible thing. Oh, look who tipped their cap. You know, I mean, there's the, this, this beautiful little pause in the middle of, of a pretty dreadful, uh, you know, pretty dreadful timeline. So, yeah, it's 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 great, and and you know Bob and I will both tell you, but but Bob particularly, you know this comes from Buck O'Neill. I mean that the joy, the optimism, the refusal to be to allow bitterness to overtake you. I mean you you look at a guy like Buck who you know never got to play in the major league and was you know almost certainly good enough. Never got to manage in the major leagues. Definitely was good enough to manage in the major leagues. Oh, yeah. uh, all, all because of the color of his skin and. It wasn't just that he, you know, moved on. He embraced his life and embraced the joy of, of his life and, and, and held no bitterness, uh, you know, that he would, that he would ever publicly display. I mean, he, he believed the world is always getting better. And, and, uh, you know, Bob and I, Bob often says, you know, I try to be a little more like Buck every day, you know, and I, I think that's, that's a hundred percent right. And, and I think, that that spirit is what what really infuses this campaign. I, I think Bob and I both know that uh, Buck would be the happiest guy in the world to be seeing to seeing this. You know, to see to see people respond the way they're responding. And they got to put him in the Hall of Fame after that, right? I hope so. I guess December. <laughs> I guess December. He's he's making right, back on the ballot, and yeah. and uh, of course, uh, of course, uh, you know, I. I my first book was, of course, about Buck O'Neill, The Soul of Baseball, and, and it ended with the disappointment of him not getting into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, he handled that with the same grace he handled everything else. But, yeah, it would be it would be fitting here in the 100th anniversary with, with all of this going on and everybody, you know, embracing this story and these people who, who weren't embraced when they were, when they were playing. Uh, it would be really fitting for him to go in the Hall of Fame this year the whole embodiment of the Negro Leagues and inclusion is actually how Bob and I became friends because I wrote an article about Mamie Johnson. Sure. And I and I wrote about the fact that the Negro Leagues, which was a league born of exclusion, became the most inclusive of the three leagues. You know, the All American Girls Professional Baseball League, they didn't allow black women. Right. And then MLB clearly didn't allow black men or women, or women at all. And the Negro Leagues was like, if you can play baseball, we want you to play baseball, which is how it should be. But as a woman in sports, that spoke to me, just seeing women play baseball. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) as the, you know, having met uh, Mamie Peanut Johnson uh, a couple of different times, uh, she she was such a joy and such an inspiration, you know, so much like Buck in, in, in those yeah. ways. And you're right. I mean, you know, the great thing about the Negro leagues was that, that it was inclusive, you know, and, and the thing that, that I, I love about that is people often said, well, you know, the Negro leagues did whatever they had, had to do to try to get fans in the stands. You know, they would do whatever they needed to do. Well, 
isn't that the point? I mean, isn't that the point of, of sports is to, is to do whatever you have to do to get people to, to come and care. And, and, you know, I think we forget that sometimes. I, I think people talk all the time about, well, you know, that, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be super meaningful because, you know, you're just doing it to get people. Well, yeah, let's get people to come to the ballpark, you know, and, and, you know, my daughters ask me, all the time. I mean, a surprising number, including my oldest daughter, who has never been a particular sports fan. You know, when will there be a woman in the major leagues? I mean, it is, it is, it is a question that they think about. And, and I know this is something you've written about a lot. I've seen you writing about it very well. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, but that is that connection, that connection. I mean, you, as, as a woman for you, as my, my daughters, as, you know, as a young woman, well, both of them, I guess, you know, young women at this point, they can love baseball, but they don't feel like they can see themselves in baseball, you know? And I think that's why it's so important that some of these women coaches, some of these women in the front office, I mean, baseball has to do so much better job when it comes to that. I mean, and that is, it's, it's really funny. Uh, Buck very rarely would call me to talk about something I'd written. You know, we would call and, and talk about other stuff all the time, but he very rarely would talk about stuff that I had written. And and I remember I wrote a column about Annika Sorenstam. Remember when Annika Sorenstam, the woman, uh, one of the great golfers of all time, played in the men's PGA tournament. And there were some of the men who, who were pretty dismissive of her and pretty dismissive of her game. And it was, it was pretty gross to be perfectly honest. And, and I but wrote not a column, surprising, but not surprising <laughs> you know. at all, not even a little bit surprising, but I wrote a column about how I, I don't remember the, 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 the overall tenor of it, but I remember it was, it was essentially about, you know, good for her. And these people who talk about her game, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's, it's amazing you know, she's, she's going to go out there and she will be very good. And, you know, I, I, like I say, it was, it was a column, but I remember that was the column that Buck O'Neill called me about to say right on, you know, I, if you ever get to talk to, to Annika, you tell her that Buck O'Neill says, you, you keep the fight up, that she's fighting the same fight that we were fighting. And I thought, that's right. You know, there's a connection here you know, that you can see in Tony Stone and maybe Johnson and, and uh, Connie Morgan. But there is a connection here. It's the same fight. And, you know, I hope that that's coming across in our campaign. I mean, it, it, that it, that this is so much larger than baseball. It's a fight to not only be respected, but to, to be and be included, but to be, you know, treated fairly. It's 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 it really is a, a special thing. I actually wanted to be the first Red Sox pitcher, like female pitcher when I was a kid growing up, I could throw well, but my arm wasn't strong enough. I just, I've never been a particularly, (laughs) I've, I've never been a particularly like strong, like athletic person, but I always want, that was my dream. And when Uzo Aduba was the narrator for the 2018 world series film, which she did a great job, but the actual film itself wasn't, good um because it was just a recap of the world series they didn't even talk about do damage or 16 runs against the yankees they didn't talk about anything it was kind of disappointing but when when it was announced that she was going to be the one to narrate the film i wrote an article just talking about what it feels like to see yourself represented in the field that you love yeah 
you yeah. know, to hear a woman's voice narrating a baseball movie instead of a man's voice. And she actually ended up reading it and reaching out to me. And it was such an honor um, that she did that. But, you know, that's, I feel like that's how a lot of girls feel is that they don't think that they have a place in sports because they don't see other women represented in sports who they can look up to and say, oh, there's a woman announcing this game. I could be an announcer. Like until, until Jess Mendoza started doing her thing, it wasn't even something I had ever thought about really. And then she was on ESPN, just absolutely crushing it. And I was yep. like, wow, I love Don Orsillo, you know, and, and Dennis Eckersley is like my favorite person to listen to give color commentary. Cause he's so funny and he just doesn't sure. give a crap about rules. <laughs> um, but you know, hearing a woman talk about baseball, it just means something different. And that's kind of how I've always tried to model girl at the game too, because people, people will be like, Oh, you only let women write for the website. So is it only a site for women? And I'm like, no, the tagline is it's sports by women for everyone. Because the point is like, if women are excluded from sports, but then I go and create a space that's only for women who love sports, I'm doing exactly the same thing that men right. do to us. Right. The point is to show that women have a place in sports. And so while it's a safe space for women writers, it's a place for everyone to enjoy. And I just want sports to be that place too. Of course, of course. And it's, it's a hundred percent right. I mean, exactly what you're saying. I, you know, and, and of course you see things differently uh, as a, as a father looking through the eyes of their daughters. Right. And I know people always say that, Oh, you know, I, I have daughters, but you do see the world in a different way. And I can remember very, very young, the first time that we watched the Olympics, you know, and, and of course, as a sports writer, sports was, was always sort of, you know, in their lives, whether, whether, you know, they wanted it in there or not. And I remember the first time that we watched the Olympics and suddenly you see these extraordinary women sprinters and these extraordinary women swimmers and, and these extraordinary women gymnasts and, and, and on and on and on. And obviously the, the Olympics being the one place where women and men are, are on the same stage in the same way. And their eyes just lit up in a completely different way. You could just see it. You could just feel it. And, and of course, when the, when the women's soccer team was, was playing in the World uh, Cup, again, the same thing. It's, it's, it's not that they, you know, hey, I only care about, you know, women's sports. It's that they see themselves. And, and you know, it's something I, I hope that I've always known. But when you see it up close like that, it really is extremely powerful, extremely powerful. And I feel, you know, it's different but the same with, with African-Americans in baseball now. Everybody talks about about how do you get more African-Americans in baseball. Well, one of the ways is is for people to see themselves in the game is for for young african americans to they go they look at the nba and they look at the nfl and they look at college football and they look at college basketball and they see themselves and they see their potential future and 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 it's you know it's less true in baseball and it's less true in baseball now than it has been in 40 years or 50 years so so yes, I totally applaud what you were doing and tell you keep it up because because that is that's where sports needs to go. What sports needs to go is where everybody can see themselves in the game. Well, I appreciate that and I know you're a girl dad and I'm the daughter of a girl dad and it's it's a really <laughs> special thing to share that relationship with your dad. But, you know, I I never I never really felt 
different you know he never you know he we would play catch in the park after synagogue on saturdays and he taught me how to catch pop flies and how to throw and we'd watch baseball games together and we'd walk over to fenway and he we'd score plays and it was never like you're a girl but i'm going to teach you this anyway it was just what we did and then i got into sports and it was like people were like why do you know so much about sports? And it's like, <laughs> why should, why wouldn't I know so much about sports? It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you know, all you could do as a dad and a mom, uh, obviously is sort of follow, follow your, your children's, you know, where they take you, you know, and, and, uh, with my older daughter, uh, she didn't have any use for sports. Uh, we used to take her to baseball games. She would, as she would, she would love to go as long as she could bring a book to read. So she would just read <laughs> during the game. She would not even know what was going on. And the younger one was more interested. Uh, but now the older one has become a much bigger sports fan, particularly football. And the younger one is, uh, is become a tennis player. So, you know, it's just, you, you let them go where they're going to go. But I think that what's really important is, there are only so much we can do, right? I mean, I think what's really important is that they that they can see a little bit of themselves. I mean, I just think that's so critical. I mean, when I was growing up, I, you know, I would look for people who, you know, I thought, oh, that that's, a, there's somebody that sort of represents what I might become someday. I mean, for me, that was the light hitting, uh, but, but, uh, eternally wonderful Dwayne Kuyper who played second base for, for Cleveland when I was growing up. Uh, and I looked at him and I thought I could do that. You know, I could be that. And, and of course I could not, but, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it gave me something to shoot for and to, to dream. And, and, and I want that for, you know, my daughters and, and their daughters and, and, you know, everybody, I want, I want them to be able to see more of themselves in the game. And, and, you know, uh, because I love baseball so much, I just, I just find that to be so important and so crucial. And, and I think it's, you know, it's, we're celebrating the Negro leagues and, and what they were able to do. I hope that we can celebrate you know, some breakthroughs uh, for women in, in baseball and, and uh, because I think it's so important. It's just so great to hear someone of your stature say that because it's one thing for me to be carving out my own space, but what also is so important is to have the support and the voices of people like you who agree. You know, there are a lot of people who are kind of like in the old club Sure. Where the old guard, where they're like, baseball is for old white dudes. And it's like, well, <laughs> cool. And so when you guys die, what's going to happen? There won't be any baseball. There won't be any paying customers if, if that's how baseball works. That's right. Well, and we're, when, and I mean, there are, there are poll, there's poll after poll after poll that show that's exactly what's happening. I mean, the, the average age of the baseball fan is much older than it is for football, basketball, hockey, particularly soccer, which is, which is skewing very young. And, you know, these are not just trends. I mean, this is where reality is going. I, I have a, a friend, well, Dan McGinn, who, who's done this, uh, who, who's uh, uh, running this, uh, this tip your uh, cap campaign with, uh, with us. He said to me, you know, he goes, for the last 30 years, more women have graduated from college than men. For the last 30 years, and that number is has, has completely grown. I mean, it, the, the the disparity between the number of women who are graduating from college and the number of men who are graduating from college, 
uh, that disparity has grown significantly. But e- but you can go back 30 years. More women were graduating from college than men for the last 30 years. So he says to me, and he's 100% right, what are the boardrooms of America going to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? I mean, it's so clear and so vivid where this is going. This isn't a trend. This is where the world is going. And and I think it's the same way with baseball. You look at baseball, and baseball is very old and very white uh, from a fan perspective. And we know where that's going. That that there is there is you you can't you can't fight that trend. There's no way to keep going the way you're going as baseball and maintain your place in 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 the nation's you know consciousness. So so I do think it's hugely important. And you know we're talking about different things when we talk about African Americans baseball. We talk about women in baseball. We're talking we're talking about different things. But we're also talking about the exact same thing, which is that the game is is aging out. And unless baseball can find a way to embrace the future, embrace diversity, embrace youth, particularly embrace young people, it's it's a game in a lot of trouble. I've been very concerned. And, you know, I try to it's hard to stay positive. People will be like, you're so negative. And I'm like, well, I'm just stating facts like there's there's not that much i can do if i if i just posted david ortiz home run videos every day people (laughs) would be like read the room so you you know you can't please everybody but it seems to me that there are so many obvious logical ways that mlb could be growing the game and promoting the game sure and they just don't do them and i'm curious what you think about that because to me and a lot of other people that i talk to in the industry it's like well For example, teams that don't have high attendance records, like the Marlins, for example, could offer super low price tickets for kids or even free tickets for kids. Like the Marlins last year, I think they were the first team since the 04 Expos to post under a million in home attendance for the whole season. Right. And so it's like, okay, you clearly have the room. Why don't you let families bring their kids under, you know, 10 get in free? Yeah. No one's sitting in those seats anyway. That's right. Well, there are so many ways. I mean, that's one of them is, is one of is, like a million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but, but a good one. I mean, but, but you're right. I, look, I think the part of the problem is that baseball, the structure of the game, you know, you really have 30 teams that are sort of 30 individual businesses in some ways. Right. Uh, so it's hard to bring them all together. But yet on the other hand, it is an industry, and that industry is also fighting the players, uh, as we've seen uh, repeatedly over the last few weeks. So it's it's a mess as far as, like, where is the central location of baseball? And the answer is I don't know where it is. And I think that's a real problem when you're trying to change the game. I mean, one thing you could say about the NBA, just as an example, NFL too, but particularly the NBA – when they want to change things, they they know exactly how to do it, right? I mean, all the owners are are under one umbrella. The players, they 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 are sharing revenue, so so it is in the interest of everybody to make the game bigger and better, and and so they can go together and and do things. They can take this to a worldwide market. They can they can uh, really work hard to promote the players and and add, and and make them big stars. I mean, there are lots of different things they can do. And baseball, every little thing is such a fight. You know, every little thing is such a – you remember last year when the commissioner 
came out and sort of lightly, uh, lightly insulted or, or, or criticized, I guess, uh, Mike Trout for not being more out there. Well, that, first of all, it's ridiculous. But secondly, you know, that's baseball's job is to put Mike Trout out there. And, you know, and, and, and I just, I just feel like so many of these things that you and I and many, many, many other people would do to bring the game to more people, to make it more uh, interesting, to make it more diverse, to make it more fun and, 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 and thrilling for, for fans. It's, it's like, you don't even know who to present them to because who could make them happen? Like who, who could you go to, you know, on, on our, on our uh, uh, website, uh, for tipping your cap for tip your cap 2020, which is the hashtag, we couldn't get tip your cap uh, for the uh, for our uh, for our website. So it's tipping your cap dot com uh, for people. We'd love for you to come uh, on the bottom of it. We have a double entry uh, video, one with Tony Clark, the Player Association executive director, and one with Rob Manfred, the commissioner. And we have them side by side, and I thought that's pretty much the only place they've been side by side, you know, all year is is in this tip your cap uh, campaign, and and you know that's it's really really hard to make changes when you're so disparate and everything is is in so many different hands, and and there's so many different requests you need to make and permissions you need to get. Uh, it's very difficult to make big sweeping changes. And I think baseball needs some big sweeping changes. Yeah. And speaking of big sweeping changes, what are your thoughts on Commissioner Manfred's kind of admission of guilt yesterday talking about the 60 game thing? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I kind of seems like he just totally outed himself and major league baseball especially when major league baseball was accusing the players themselves of not negotiating in good faith and it seems like mlb was doing exactly that the entire time yeah i you know the the whole thing was such a disaster i i, I mean i wrote about it a from couple start of different, to finish yeah. start to finish from you know a couple of different times i've written about it and it's so frustrating to me because really from the start i mean this is this is an aside but from the start, I think everybody should have been well aware that 2020 is is going to be a completely different kind of season. It's it's not going to be anything like any season we've ever had in the past. It's not going to resemble any season that we've had in the past. Um, you know, everybody should have realized very quickly there weren't going to be fans in the stands. They should have realized very quickly that that not only was there going to be a smaller number of games played, but even those games were going to be subject to health risks and health questions that are still unanswered. I, you know, I know that, that, you know, they're talking about a 60 game season now and starting July 23rd and I hope they can do it and I hope they can get pretty far, but we're also, you know, we're also coming off a day where we just literally have the highest count uh, of COVID-19 cases that we've ever had in this country. And, and so, so that's that's a trend that does not point well to July 23rd. So so you know I realize that there's so many complications but I just I couldn't believe that from the very start they didn't try to do something special with this season. Something unique, something unusual, something try throwing things against the wall. Uh you know I suggested why not why not have a college world series type tournament? with all 30 teams and you, you put them in different regions and, and that way you can limit the, the number of stadiums involved and number of cities involved and you can keep them together and, and somewhat, you know, and it's in a, a short period of time. 
I, I, it's not that they didn't choose my particular idea or some of the great ideas I saw out there. It is that as far as I know, they didn't try anything. You know, they just kind of decided to fight over the few dollars that, that are going to come out from this season. And by few dollars, I of course mean millions and millions, but, but for them, (laughs) right. But for them, you know, relatively few dollars. And, and it's incredibly frustrating to me that, that there wasn't a sense of the game being bigger than, than, than this petty arguments that they would have, you know, that this moment being something more significant than, than fighting for, for nonsense. And, you know, and, and this is not a both sides thing. This is directly, completely and utterly on the owners. They're the ones that have, have thrived off of this game in a way that, that owners in football and, and, and basketball have not. You know, they're the ones that, that, that do not include the players in, in any kind of, uh, revenue sharing. And of course, that's in part because the players, you know, believe that that would be a, a salary cap and they won't have it. But they've given the players no reason whatsoever to feel that they are partners in baseball. So if you're not going to ever have your players feel like they're partners in baseball, you can't ask them to be partners when, when you're facing a season like this. And, and yet they kept insisting and insisting and, and dealing in bad faith and trying to cut salaries even more than they've already cut them. And, and it was, it was shameful. It was absolutely shameful. And, you know, I don't know what the reality is. I don't know that there could have been a season any longer than 60 games. Maybe maybe that's 100% right. Maybe they had some information that they were not publicly sharing from health people saying that, that it was never going to be anything different than it is. But you're right. What was What were all the arguments about? What was the fighting about? What were the discussions about? If at the bottom line you were never, ever going to have more than a 60-game season, I don't know why there was any – why there were any negotiations to begin with, you know, I mean, this, this whole thing feels uh, completely uh, as an effort to make the players look bad, uh, to make the game look bad. And, and it's, uh, it's very, very sad. It's painful as a fan to see baseball treat its own players like this, but also to turn fans against the players. I mean, the way that, fans, quote unquote fans, because I don't think anyone who's really a fan of baseball would have the audacity to say some of the things that you see people saying. Like, I saw somebody say that Sean Doolittle should dump his wife because she has lung problems and she's (sighs) severely immunocompromised. Um, And they were like, well, just dump your weak wife and get back to playing. And I'm like, anyone who says that couldn't possibly be an actual fan of baseball. It has hurt me so much to see how baseball has treated its own players and manipulated fans against the players during this time. And I think you're exactly right that MLB just either had information that they weren't sharing or that they just never intended. I mean, it seems pretty clear from what Manfred said that they never intended to play more than 60 games. And so they were just using all of this as a way to mess with player salaries and not spend money on them and all of this kind of stuff. But it just seems so unnecessary to me. Well, I think that's partly was a money thing, but I think, I think even more, it was a, you know what? People are not going to take this. Well, who's going to get the blame. We would rather the players get the blame for this than the owners. I mean, I think, I think that it's, it seems like it has been such a fight for, for the moment 
and also a fight to sort of muddy the whole thing up and oh I a pox on both their houses, which you know a lot of people are saying and and you know that would that way you can share the blame with with the players the the whole thing has felt like a blame chasing exercise, which to me is is terrible i mean it, if I'm sort of saying what I think Rob Manfred should have done, okay specifically as commissioner of baseball, first of all, uh as I was saying uh to to my friend Mike Shore. Uh, on on the podcast, um, it's absurd that we have a commissioner of baseball who who works for the owners. I mean, a commissioner of baseball should work for the game, and should, that means should work for the players and the owners and the fans, and that should be that should be the job, and the job should not be representing the owners in in negotiations or or fighting for the owners. But if I'm if I'm saying what Ron Manfred should have done, Ron Manfred should have come out very clearly and said we are facing a global pandemic. We are facing a crisis unlike anything anyone has seen in our lifetime. And in that kind of crisis, baseball doesn't matter. Baseball is not a significant part. When you see so many people in pain, when you see so many people uh, dying, when you see so much economic hardship, uh, baseball, but we do know that baseball means a lot to so many people around this country. And what we're going to do is do the very best we can to get baseball back on the field. And, and, you know, and I hope people will be patient with us and understand that there are huge limitations that we're dealing with, but I can promise you, I can give you my assurance as commissioner of baseball that we are going to have the best effort possible to play baseball and, and to make this season a memorable one for our baseball fans. And then Back those words up. I, it it is so frustrating to me that nobody was willing to go out front and do that. And and you know, if you had to pick what's going on with the game and why the game is is in trouble, I think you know that's as good a that's as good a uh, as good a, a sign as 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 any really. Baseball had such a great opportunity here to, I mean, people have been saying this for weeks now, but they're like, baseball had an opportunity to be the first sport back in America. And they had an opportunity to, at the very least, do creative and positive things before the game actually came back. Yes. And instead they spent three months infighting and backbiting and, and just like after the off season that we had, with Brandon Taubman and then two cheating investigations. Sure. I was like waiting for spring training because I was like, when there's no baseball, the only things that get talked about are the problems that baseball has. But at least when there's baseball being played, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a bandaid on a bullet wound, but at least there's actual baseball to talk about. And we had it for like two weeks and then it went away again. Obviously it had to go away, but you're kind of like, I can't believe this is how you chose to spend your coronavirus. There are so many other ways that they could have been functioning during this time. And it just kills me to watch baseball just continuously kill itself. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. And I and I have to tell you, and I don't want this to come off as, as immodest in any way, because I don't mean it this way, but putting together this this uh, campaign to celebrate the Negro leagues and celebrate the Negro leaguers and see the response that has come and see how many people have stepped forward and see, we did this on nothing. We, we had no budget, literally the website. I do it. 
I I designed it. I I bought the the uh, the 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 uh, domain. It's I do the entire thing, and and to see what we were able to do, how much joy we were able to spread, how much awareness we were able to spread with nothing, with absolutely nothing, and then to see how little baseball was able to do during this time period. I have to tell you, it's very frustrating to me. It's very frustrating. They have unlimited resources, unlimited reach. How did they not try to celebrate the game and bring some joy to people all across the country? Look, it's nobody's fault that they're not on the field. This is a global pandemic. This is a a, a terrifying virus that has overtaken everybody, and it's nobody's fault. But to just sit back and bicker and and fight and and have people just just beating on the game day after day after day I, you know just being in the middle of this campaign and how good it feels it reminds me so much that how much people want to be inspired how much people want to be uh in the middle of something that they can feel good about and baseball had that opportunity and and to watch them squander it was has just been very very frustrating for me as a fan not as as a writer you know i you know i write about the game but as a fan very frustrating to see that happen absolutely it's not only that they wasted they squandered the opportunity it's that they did like the polar opposite of yes. what they it's because it, it's not like they just did nothing it's like they actively made baseball in the news for all the wrong reasons and just like like you said, we're already living in a global pandemic. There's already serious social justice issues in, t- you know, overtaking the country and rightfully so, because these right. are things that are important. It's like, we didn't need baseball destroying itself on no. top of all of those things. We needed baseball to either like kind of put up or shut up, you know, like you're either making things better or you're part of the problem. That's and right. they, they really just went all in on like, making themselves look as bad as possible. And like you said, as a fan, as somebody who covers baseball, but also as someone who just loves baseball so much, has it been hard for you to get excited about baseball coming back? I mean, setting aside the obvious health concerns, because we have no control over that, obviously, but when they actually finally announced that baseball was coming back, how did you feel? I have felt so conflicted. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like I could get excited about baseball again as if you know once we see people on the field and 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 you know even even just seeing people at at uh, camps throwing the ball around I think will feel really good. I I'm, I find my biggest conflict to be that I don't believe it. You know, I and, and it's not this one I don't blame on anybody. I don't blame on anybody in baseball. Um I just don't I just look and see where the country's going. And I don't believe that in a month we're going to be in a position, or I guess now in three weeks, we're going to be in a position uh, where we can play baseball. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that 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 uh, that we can we can stem this this uh, this recent uh, this recent rise in cases and 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 hopefully get the the death count lower and all of those things that that I know some some brilliant and wonderful people are working on. But it doesn't look that way to me. So, you know, my, my daughter graduated from high school uh, this year. And, and so 
we are we are trying to figure out what college is. And you know, we've been given a plan for where uh, for her college and where she when she should show up and and how it's going to work. And here are going to be the social distancing rules. And we want to get excited about it for her, you know, to be going to college. But none of us believe that that's the way it's going to be. I mean, we, you know, we'll, we'll get a lot closer. We'll know, but none of us believe that. And that's sort of how I feel about baseball right now. I, I, you know, I think everybody's going at it with, with the best of intentions. Uh, there are some players who already say they're not going to play and I don't blame them one bit. Uh, we got yesterday uh, a waiver from the baseball. If you want to go to the park to cover the games, there's a three page waiver sort of, uh, saying, you know, you acknowledge these risks and, and you won't sue and you'll do all these other things. And, and, you know, all of that feels very rushed to me and very sort of like, well, I mean, that's where we are on July 2nd. Where are we going to be on July 15th? Where are we going to be on July 23rd? I mean, I don't know. So, so it's hard for me to get excited. It really is. It's hard for me to feel like we are, um, like we are definitely heading in the right direction. Cause I just don't know. Um, but I will say, look, I'm as a baseball fan and I know you're the same way. Um, when we actually start seeing people throw the ball and hit the ball and, and, and field and run the bases. Yeah. The juices will start going again. I mean, it won't be the same as, as the past, but in, you know, it'll be new in a, in a, in a, in a different way. I think it'll be, it'll be wonderful to see, this game that we love being played again. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, but, but I'm also, uh, I'm also skeptical about a lot of the things that we're hearing. I actually saw while we were recording, Florida reported 10,000 new cases in a day. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and, and you have two baseball teams that play in Florida. Yeah. So like, <laughs> how are you going to have, teams from other places going to Florida, those teams going out of Florida. What this has brought into focus for me more than ever is that germs are everywhere and this world is absolutely crazy. And so, I mean, I was surprised that Canada is even letting the Blue Jays play at Rogers and have other teams come to Canada. Like given the way that United States are handling this, I was shocked. It's like, why would you want Americans coming to your country right now? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, well, you know, I, I was thinking about this. You remember at the very, very beginning, I mean, I think you're going back to April now, probably. One of the, one of the, the very prominent plans that was in place was for the players to play all their games in Florida and Arizona. Remember when they were going to do that? They were going to, they were going to, they were going to basically quarantine. Yeah, the bubble them, plan. Right, in Florida and Arizona. In two of the biggest hotbeds of. Now they are two of the biggest two. hotbeds. Exactly. It's not even like part two of, you know, like Fauci said, he's like, this isn't even the second wave. He goes, it's just, this is your first wave part two, because you guys didn't comply. And that's what's so crazy is people are acting like this isn't going to happen again. It's like, we didn't even make it out of part one successfully. Exactly right. Well, but I mean, that just tells you. So, so, you know, how, how can any of us get super excited about a baseball season when two months ago, literally, they were saying we should play all the games in Florida, which, as you just said, reported 10,000 new cases, Arizona, which is an absolute Petri dish right now. I mean, it's absolutely horrifying and frightening what's happening in Arizona. You got two teams in Texas 
one owner talking about having fans in the stands in a state that is absolutely in free fall with, with COVID-19. So, so yeah, I can't, I can't get excited because I don't believe any of it. I, I mean, we'll see. I know that these are the best laid plans and this is what you do. Uh, and I know there are people out there who are sure listening who are saying, Oh, you know, this, come on, we're just making too big a deal out of this. It'll be fine, whatever. Um, but I don't believe that. I, I just don't. I, I just feel like we are, we are heading the absolute wrong way with, with COVID-19. And uh, the summer has not brought the relief that I think so many of us hoped it would. And, and I'm, I'm scared. And, and I feel like baseball isn't the only sport in, in play here. You know, the NFL, you hear whispers about them talking about shortening the season. The NBA plan is, is, is very, I mean, they're going to do that in Florida. Are you kidding? I mean, does that make sense to anybody? So, so, you know, I, I think we're, we're talking a lot now about what might be, but, you know, three weeks is an awfully long time. It's funny because I actually originally was so, first of all, excited about the NBA's plan, but also jealous because I said it's such an incredible content opportunity for the NBA. Like they get to be at Disney World. Sure. The players get to have the whole park to themselves and the content's going to be so fun. And I said, I wish MLB could do that because God knows they need a marketing opportunity. They need a good content opportunity much more than the NBA. I mean, the NBA does pretty much everything right from that standpoint. Um, and, you know, now it's like, well, how I don't see how the NBA can go to Florida. Like the Celtics reported zero positive tests from their players, but I, I, going down to Florida right now is kind of like seeing the mouth of hell and being like, oh, I should just pop in for a second. It's like, it's definitely <laughs> the state struggling the most right now. And, and, uh, and they don't seem to know what to do about it down there. And, and so, you know, I mean, it's like I say, I mean, one thing that I think does get lost and, and I fall trapped to this sometimes. Uh, and I think it's important not to fall trapped to this. Um, this is hard stuff. It really is. I mean, I, I know, you know, I'm, I, I, I beat up on baseball and, and, uh, you know, like, like the rest of us do. And I, I can't stand the way that they, that they way presented this, but this is, this is really unprecedented. The stuff that we're facing is unprecedented. The health risks we're facing are unprecedented. The, the, you know, the way the country, the moment that the country is in right now is unprecedented. We've never been in a moment like this before. And there are no easy right answers for anything. Everybody is trying their best. And, and I, I do think it's important to acknowledge that. I do think it's important to say, you know, Hey, everybody is trying to, to figure out what the right thing to do is. I thought the NBA plan made great sense when they announced it, but that's my point. When they announced it is three weeks ago, four weeks ago, you look at it now, it looks like you would never make that plan now. And three weeks, four weeks from now, when the plan is supposed to go into effect or when the season, I guess, is supposed to get going, um, who knows where we'll be? I mean, there's, there's just no telling where we'll be. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I know these people cannot take it day by day like the rest of us do, but, but, Realistically, I just find it impossible to believe that anybody feels like they can look into the future and and tell you where this thing is going because I don't think anybody knows. 
it's crazy. I, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% that obviously, I mean, the only precedent for this is the influenza from like 1918. Right. right. And there are so few, I mean, you can't even compare because. No. I, I mean, most people didn't even own a car. Television right. hadn't been invented. Like to compare that to now is such an insane comparison. But I think at the same time, it's like when you have new developments every single day, what you have to be able to do is adapt to them. You sure. can't just double, you can't just double down. And so we're going to have to see what happens with these sports leagues because doubling down right now is the, is the worst thing that they can do. You know, they're going to have to roll with the punches and they're going to have to adapt and they're going to have to change what their plans are because you can't, I mean, like we're seeing experts saying that we could end up with a hundred thousand new cases a day yeah. if the country keeps going and it's, I mean, Florida alone had 10,000 new cases in a day. So you have to, you have to say, okay, like three weeks ago, even two days ago, things were different and we have to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. That's hundred percent right. You have to, you're going to have to adjust. Everybody's going to have to adjust and, and it's not easy to do that. Uh, but, but you know, adjustments are going to be constant and there are going to be mistakes made. They just are. There's no way around it. And everybody's going to have to understand um, the risks. And 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 the risks are are you know pretty monumental. So, well, all of us want baseball back. All of us want basketball back. All of us want football. All of us want these things to happen. All of us want to go back to something resembling what life used to be like. I, there's there's no. Nobody is against that. All of us want these jobs to come back. All of us want these businesses to be thriving again. But, you know, you, you can't wish this thing away. You can't wish away. Or force a, it away. Or force <laughs> it know? away. Or, or pretend it doesn't exist. You can't. I mean, those those things just will not work. And we'll see. Because, I mean, baseball, we've definitely been, uh, you know, pretty upfront about how we feel baseball has mishandled this. But, the reality is the last three months of arguing and fighting, it'll go away. It really will. Like that stuff doesn't matter. It's a lot like, um, a lot like, you know, really, really nasty negotiations between uh, ownership and a player and everybody goes, Oh, it'll carry over. And it really doesn't. I mean, you know, maybe in tiny ways, but in general, everybody moves on. I think everybody will move on from those things, but the, the real test for baseball is how it's going to handle it from here on in. Uh, the real test from baseball is how it's going to handle starting a season and then having, you know, 18 players test positive. And how do you deal with that? And the real test for baseball is when, if a player gets very ill and has to be hospitalized and, and what does the game do? I mean, these are, these are very, very real possibilities and, and things that, that all of us could see. I mean, it's, it's, it's very frightening and, and, and it's going to have to be handled with a deft touch with adjustments all the time. And I hope baseball's up to that task because it's, uh, it's not an easy one at all. I don't envy anyone in these positions of making the decisions about these things because they're, I mean, there's obviously the right things to do and the wrong things to do at a certain point. You have to listen to medical experts and make a decision, but in general, it's hard to know the right path overall. And I don't envy them having to figure that out when there's zero precedent to handle this. It's, it can't be easy. No. Um, but, 
but before I let you go, I want to go back to your writing for just a minute because we went down the COVID rabbit hole. Yes, and, yes. Um, and as someone who has been an avid reader and admirer of your work for such a long time, I would much rather talk to you about like your own work than the global pandemic that is surrounding our lives, like the pink slime from Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the Baseball 100, for people who don't know, you ranked the 100 greatest baseball players. Who is somebody that you put on the Baseball 100 that you don't think that like people didn't see coming or that you were particularly excited to cover because it seemed a little bit more unexpected? Yeah, the Baseball 100 was... Uh... What a what a thrilling and and wild project that ended up being. I mean, I you know it was something that that for years I've been I've been you know talking about rating the hundred baseball players. I've started projects in the past and and gotten reasonably far, but never got to the end. And and uh, and then we came up with this idea at the Athletic to do it in a hundred days. So we were going to do it literally one a day uh, from December whatever it was to end on opening day. It was supposed to end uh, on, on when baseball's regular opening day was. And, you know, a hundred stories in a hundred days, and these are all extensive, you know, deep dives into people uh, was <laughs> beyond exhausting. I mean, it was, it was something, uh, you know, I, I can't believe how many times during this time period uh, that I was doing it, that I, would say to myself, what, what in the world, why, why would I ever have agreed to do this? I mean, it was, it was incredibly uh, involved and intense, but it was so much fun that it just kind of kept me going. And you, you ask which players stood out. I mean, the truth of the matter is every day I would be energized by the player that I was writing about, you know? So, so because I learned so much about them and even players that I felt like I knew a lot about. So I remember, Early on, I mean, relatively early on, maybe 20 in or something like that, I was already beginning to get tired. I mean, that's three weeks of writing literally every single day. And like I say, these these pieces were, you know, 2,500 words, 3,000 words, 4,000 words. So these were, these were very involved uh, stories. So I remember about 20 in or so, I got to Carlton Fisk and – uh, I, rem you know, I already had the list of players that I, you know, I, I had ranked them and I got to Carlton Fisk and I, you know, I felt like I, you know, I wrote a book about the 75 Reds, which obviously uh, was the year that Carlton Fisk hit his home run. So I had done some research on Carlton Fisk in the past. And if it about stays him. fair. <laughs> <laughs> if it stays fair, have him jumping up and down, down the, down the first baseline. Um, but I dived in to like real, like, deep research. And I came out of it with this really touching, beautiful story about Carlton Fisk and his dad. And his, his father was such a, uh, you know, he was tough and, and, and he expected a lot. And, 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 you know, the young Carlton Fisk was a brilliant, brilliant basketball player uh, as well as a baseball player. And uh, I mean, good enough to play in college at Notre Dame and uh, as a basketball player and so on. Uh, but he never felt like he he impressed his father. He never felt like his dad, uh, you know, his dad never really said, um, you know, the great job. You know, he never got that from his father. Uh, and and there's just this beautiful moment where where Carlton Fisk is going into the Hall of Fame, 
and he he's gets to that point where he's thanking his father and he he says to his dad something to the effect of you know what i i know you always tell people because there's a there's a famous story as a red sox fan i'm sure you know where where carlton fisk's father was walking through the red sox clubhouse and and one of the players came up to him and said oh uh you're carlton's father and and his father said no carlton's my son you know like like <laughs> well, let's let's be let's be clear what who's who's and and carlton fisk looked at his father uh on the day he goes into the hall of fame and he says you know i've i've always been proud to be your son but today you're my dad and i just there's that's there's something beautiful about that and and if every it felt like every story had enough like that that just it completely energized me uh of course writing about the negro leagues players was particularly special to me i think there are eight in in the list maybe nine um so each of those because those came as a surprise i'm sure to a lot of people so suddenly you're you know you're reading about ricky henderson and george brett and 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 uh and walter johnson and these great players but then pop lloyd pops in or oscar charleston pops in and and uh and uh you know i think that that makes me feel great when i can really put these these great players in context but every one of them was fun and exciting and and the response to them were was just absolutely enormous i, I mean like i say in, in a lot of ways again <clears throat> the timing of it was probably it probably worked out pretty well because people were at home and they wanted to read about baseball and and this was something that was out there for them so that was that was pretty good for for the series bad for life but good for the series and <laughs> and um and it was really special it was really special i i mean as i knew it was going to be a, a a fun and challenging series but it turned out uh much like this tip your cap campaign to be so much bigger than i'd ever expected I mean, it was such an undertaking. I was like, oh, my God, he's really doing one every single day. <laughs> yeah. This is this is incredible. You know, the, the top five, any one of them could have been number one, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, maybe even the top seven or eight, any one of them could have been number one, and I could have made a very strong argument for them to be a number one. So when it got to that point, you know, you start putting them in order, and 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 uh, and you know that people are going to respond when they see – Barry Bonds at number three, you know, or Ted Williams at number six or whatever uh, the case may be, people are going to respond and be very angry, you know, because they believe they should be number one. And that that's the kind of anger I love, right? That's the kind of, those are the kinds of arguments I want to have rather than some of the arguments that we are having. So, uh, so it was very special for me and very fun for me. And then of course, to get to number one and have Willie Mays number one and have all the Babe Ruth people, you know, up in arms, uh, you know, which I understand, uh, is, is, uh, it was a perfect ending for me for, for the whole thing. It's also interesting and such an, like a, an undertaking to do that kind of list because baseball has changed so much and players yes. are so different over the last, you know, a hundred plus years. It's like the whole, like when Adam Ottavino said that he could strike out Babe Ruth and, you know, of course the internet like burst into flames. Right. Uh, or, you know, people comparing one of the biggest things that kind of made me a little crazy was when Shohei Otani was coming up. Do you remember how everyone was talking about calling Shohei Otani the next Babe Ruth? Right, right. And I, I wrote this whole article and I was like, guys, Shohei Otani is doing something completely different because Babe Ruth didn't start, you know, becoming 
the Sultan of SWAT until he basically gave up pitching altogether. Right. Like, That's I mean, right. he, he still, he still hit a, a, a lot of home runs with the Red Sox, but those crazy offensive stats only happened once he gave up the mound. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Look, the Babe Ruth thing is a whole fun conversation anyway, because, you know, you always have these people that go, Hey, he was, he was the, one of the greatest pitchers and he was the greatest hitter. So how can he not be number one? Well, he wasn't that good a pitcher. I mean, he was very, very good. And he, and he, he had the, the, uh, the world series record for short scoreless innings for a long time, which was great. He was very good. No question about it, but Babe Ruth wasn't Walter Johnson. He wasn't. Uh, I'm he taking wasn't... Pedro. I'm taking 1999 Pedro oh, Martinez yeah, over for, Babe Ruth any oh, day. Well, forget all. I mean, yes, Bob Gibson and Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens and Pedro. And I'm not even talking about them in his own time. He wasn't uh, Walter right. Johnson. He wasn't Pete Alexander. He wasn't, you know, I mean, he was, Cy Young. he was, he wasn't Cy Young. He wasn't Christy Mathewson. I mean, he was good. He was a very, very good pitcher. If he had stayed a pitcher, he might have made it to the Hall of Fame. I don't know. He might not have, but he certainly wouldn't be remembered as 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 anything, you know, as as people wouldn't be talking about him to this day. He they're talking about him because of what he became as a hitter. And and he never really did them together. Uh he did hit as a pitcher and in his last year as a pitcher, he was sort of a part-time both ways. But you're 100% right. What Shohei Otani was trying to do and is trying to do and hopefully will continue to try to do is pitch and hit in the same year that that is, Babe Ruth did not do that. That is, it's just different. Just as an aside, one of my favorite Babe Ruth stats is that aside from his 29 home run season in 1919, no Red Sox batter hit more than 13 home runs in a single season between 1901 and 1921. <laughs> and then the season that he hit 29 home runs, none of his teammates hit more than three. Yeah. Yeah. And that was still and that was still while he was pitching. So like you know that that to me like is a sliver of the Shohei Otani thing, but yes, that was the only it's year. It's still it's still not it's still not the same. No, I mean look and that that was the one year that he really pulled off the Shohei Otani the double duty. Right, that he, that was the one year. I mean he he you know he hit uh, he led the league in home runs in in 1918 too. Uh, but really yeah. it was 1919 and he was mostly a hitter by then in, in 1919. I mean, he, in fact, in 19, yeah, I mean, he was mostly, it looked like he got, he, he pitched in, uh, I'm looking at his numbers now and he was good. He wasn't great. He was good. Pitched in 17 games that year, uh, was nine and five with the 297 ERA, which 297 ERA in 1919 was barely, it was average. I mean, he was, he was fine. He was he was a good pitcher. Nowadays he was a, you're like, oh my god, that ERA is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because nowadays they score a lot more runs. You're right, but you know, Rick Porcello has a four ERA. You're like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> no, it's not. Our standards yeah. are so low now. It's like someone makes it through seven innings of baseball, you call it a good game. I'm like, yeah, it's just. Sandy Kovacs used to go out and pitch complete game shutouts on the regular. Oh yeah. And now it's like if someone lasts past the sixth inning. It's a quality start. <laughs> yes. It's a very different time, obviously, that we're in. But yeah, I mean, you look at Babe Ruth. He had one truly epic year in 1916 as a pitcher. And then he was 
he was good as a pitcher, but uh, but people have people have tended to exaggerate how good he was as a pitcher and how long he did it. Uh, his his greatness. If you want to talk about Babe Ruth and his greatness, it was about his hitting. It was not about his pitching. I, d- I did love, though, that, you know, in the 1916 World Series, he pitched all 14 innings yep. of that game. And he also, I think, had, like, the lone RBI or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was the longest game in, in postseason history until the 2018 World Series. And the, the opponents were the same. It was the Sox and the Dodgers. I loved that symbolism so much. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. But yeah, I, baseball was completely different back then. So before I let you go, we ask everybody this question on the show. What is your favorite sports memory? And it can be a game that you played in, a game that you covered, a game that you were just at, literally anything. But we always want to hear what everybody's favorite sports memory is. I've written about this. So it doesn't have to be baseball or does it need to be baseball? No, no, it doesn't. It can be, I mean, like we asked Keith Folk and I was pretty sure I knew what his answer was going to be. Sure. And he goes, he goes, oh, uh, the Olympics, watching America in hockey in the Olympics. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I'm like, your, your favorite moment wasn't reversing the curse. And he's like, well, I guess that too, but the Olympics for hockey. And it was totally unexpected so literally anything yeah well i've i've got to go similar i i've written about this numerous times my my definitely my favorite moment uh ever was at the 2000 uh sydney olympics uh when i went completely out of the blue to cover a uh wrestling greco-roman wrestling uh match it was the same night that the united states was playing for the gold medal in baseball uh with uh with time of as the manager and so all of the, just about all of the American writers went to that. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to try something different. So I went to, uh, to a Greco Roman wrestling match, uh, to write about, uh, a great Russian wrestler named Alexander Karelin, who, uh, at that point was going for his fourth Olympic gold medal. He had not given up a point in any number of years. I don't know anything about Greco Roman wrestling at all. Uh, even now I don't know anything about it. I don't know the rules. Uh, but, but the guy was a very, he seemed like a very interesting guy. I went out there to watch it and the crowd was crazy loud and it was, it was such an amazing atmosphere and he was wrestling a guy. I didn't even know, uh, his name. Uh, and the guy was an American and they started wrestling and they were doing whatever it is that Greco Roman wrestlers do. And I'm watching and watching and, and nothing is happening as far as I can see. And then all of a sudden, everyone in the crowd like goes hush. Like, like, like it was this huge cheer and then everybody went silent. Like it was, it was like the, like the, uh, the Albert Pujols home run against the Astros. Like everybody goes silent. And then there's like this huge cheer and I look up and I see that the American had scored a point because they had a little scoreboard there. I don't know how. To this day, I still don't know how he got a point, <laughs> but he got a point, and it was the first point that Corellin had given up in in many many years. He had not given up a single point. So now I'm watching it and going, "Wow, something weird is happening here and really cool." And then they they go at it for for however long it is that these these matches last, and then suddenly I see Corellin bow his head in defeat and like hold out his hand. And the crowd is going absolutely crazy. And I'm going, what am I watching here? And, and it, it turned out to be 
perhaps the greatest upset in the history of the Olympics. It was when Rulon Gardner beat Alexander Karelin in the, in the gold medal match uh, of uh, Greco-Roman wrestling heavyweights. And the afterward I've written about it many times, I'm not going to go into it, but, but all sorts of amazing things happened uh, afterward, me running into his mom, me running into his dad, uh, just, just all sorts of crazy stories about him growing up as a dairy farmer in, in, in Wyoming. Uh, it just turned out to be the most ridiculous, amazing, incredible story that I've ever been around and ever will be around. And in fact, uh, Olympic Channel is doing a, a big documentary. I, it was supposed to come out a couple of weeks ago. I believe it's coming out later this month on the Olympic Channel. Uh, they're doing this big documentary and they, and I'm in it. I'm in the documentary talking about being there when Rulon Gardner beat Alexander Karelin. So, uh, I've been to some amazing, amazing baseball things. I've obviously been to a, a amazing football and basketball and hockey and, and golf and tennis and, and horse racing and all sorts of other incredible things. Uh, but nothing from me will ever top, top uh, watching uh, Rulon Garner beat Alexander Karelin in the Olympic gold medal. And this is why we asked that question because there you go. What an unexpected and so <laughs> such an interesting answer. Yeah, yeah, it goes in a completely different direction. But I also think that some of you, including you and Keith, are just going for shock value now because I was like, I was like, Keith, are you just choosing this so you don't say 2004? And he's like, maybe. <laughs> partially no I'm, um, I'm on record i this i i would love to say but no i just for this shop is very, that's so cool yeah I'm on that record is so cool where can people find you on social media and give us the url for tip your cap again i'm going to link it in the show description also but um Excellent. just just for the listeners, where can they yeah. find you and where can yeah, they find Yeah, and, and they can find me at Jay Posnanski everywhere. I mean, that's basically I'm, I'm the only one. But I would definitely want to spread word about the about the campaign. Uh, if you go to Twitter or Instagram, it's uh, at TipYourCap2020, which is also the hashtag we're asking people to use. What we'd love for you to do is post a photo, video of yourself tipping your cap uh, to the Negro Leagues. If you have a little story to tell, please share it. Uh, we're asking people if they would send them to us at photos at tippingyourcap.com. That's photos at tippingyourcap.com. That would be great. We would love to have them. We have a website, tippingyourcap.com, where we're sharing all of this stuff. But really, we're interested in people spreading the story. So so being out there, telling your friends, putting it on social, uh, the campaign is going to last until July 23rd, which we hope is opening day. And really the idea is just to just to give these great men and women of the Negro Leagues their moment where they're in the conversation, where people are talking about them, people are respecting what they did and thanking them for changing the game and making the game a better and, and the country a better place. Amazing. Joe, thank you so much for coming on, for talking to me for over an hour. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being our guest and for always being so encouraging and kind to me. It honestly means the world. I can't even put it into words. And just thank you for all of the writing that you do, for everything you do for the Negro Leagues and for baseball. Just thank you. <laughs> oh, th- thank you, Gabrielle. I, I mean, you you keep doing what you do. It's It's awesome. So thank you so much. I 
hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe. It was such a treat for me to get to talk to him. He's somebody that I've looked up to for a really long time, and I've always enjoyed his writing so much, and I learned so much. It's just great to get to talk about baseball in a positive way, at least for part of the conversation with somebody else who loves it as much as I do and wants it to succeed, even when it is run by people who don't want it to succeed. Don't forget to check out the Tipping Your Cap movement at tippingyourcap.com. That's T-I-P-P-I-N-G-Y-O-U-R-C-A-P.com. You can also check them out on Twitter at tipyourcap2020. Send them your own video or photo of you tipping your cap and check out all of the incredible people who have done so already, including Presidents Bush, Clinton, and Obama, Nick Offerman and Rob Lowe from Parks and Recreation, and players like you, Darvish, Mike Trout, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. Everyone is doing it. And it's just such an incredible movement, and I'm so happy that I got to talk to Joe about it and that they are doing it to honor the Negro Leagues because the lessons and the values of the Negro Leagues are more important now than ever. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at GFSTARR1, and you can follow Girl at the Game on Twitter and Instagram at Girl at the Game, and check out articles on girlatthegame.com. Have a great holiday weekend, but make sure to wear a mask and social distance And just remember that this country will only be able to heal if we all follow the rules together. And in honor of July 4th, we will send you out with Miss Independent by Kelly Clarkson. Have a great and safe July 4th.